0: Welcome, welcome, travelers. We we're are aware that your journey, journey was difficult, difficult but prepare to, prepare to have your questions, questions answered, for you in have been granted an audience with the Masters, masters of Modern.
1: So welcome back to Masters of Modern. I'm your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. What's up, everybody? What a day. What a beautiful day. No, this is the 200th day.
2: This is the 200th episode, actually. No, it's uh, just been
1: 200 days since we started this podcast. Yes, exactly. Every day there's been a new days. podcast. They just felt really long. You Seven guys, days long.
2: Some of you guys have been listening since day one. That's that was true. four Pre years you. ago.
1: Though almost not pre-Marshall. I believe Marshall, who... Okay, so news beyond just the fact that it's a 200th episode... Uh, as we get into episode 200, we plan on doing uh, larger strides in accomplishing goals, and to do that, we have brought on producers the help, who are professional podcasters. And one of them was actually on the second episode of this podcast ever. Yes,
2: we have we have Marshall James in the house. Marshall, how are you? Yell.
1: I'm doing
2: great. Excellent. He'll have a mic at some point, but today is day one of Marshall. We uh, Alex and I have done this show as we mentioned for over four years together. Uh, and we talked a lot recently about sort of, we have a lot going on in our lives now to be able to handle the show as an independent production and continue it at the level that we want to. Should we end it at 200? Is that the move? Should we change it? And ultimately we decided we love the brand. We love magic. We love modern. We want the show to succeed. So let's put our money where our mouth is and let's actually bring on a team to help this show continue, get better and get bigger. I think we used to have a ton of guests. We want to have more guests on this year. And yeah. so, yeah, Something
1: we're doing is we're going to keep doing live streams. Normally this week we didn't because we had a special interview that required special timing to happen. Um, we're also going to be trying to move the recording of the podcast to uh, closer to evening so we a, have an easier time to get guests on because um, one of the issues we've had getting guests is that we've been recording in the morning and most people have jobs. And two... Uh, making it to the live stream is a little bit more accessible to people during times that they're not at the office. So we, that hopefully grows both of those sides. Um, this also, you know, will in the next month or two, probably restarting the Patreon in a way that kind of makes it a little bit more exciting, figure out what content needs to be released there early. Uh, that Patreon also is how it we're able to afford all of that we're doing, um, plus a little bit of money out of our pockets. And to you,
2: you guys may hear our audio is a little better. Uh, the Zoom that we bought with the Patreon money a couple years ago, Finally, kind of gave up. It we finally g- went out. We had to buy a new one. That's what we spent the Patreon money you guys gave us on, was to make our audio better. So that's kind of a good example of what we want to do going forward is continuing to do exactly stuff like that.
1: Yep. And, uh, so 2019, 2000, not 2000, 2000 episodes and beyond, new world, new future, super excited. Um, speaking of exciting things, today's episode we have Gavin Verhey joining. Uh, that interview starts probably after we do a little bit, we're going to do a little bit of news on the GP that, and, and other tournaments that happened this last weekend. Gavin um, has been on the
2: show once before. He's the senior game designer and product architect at Wizards of the Coast. Um, yep. we did like kind of a one-on-one with him at one point. This one's going to be a little bit more about modern reprints, things that are, uh, particularly relevant. If you guys heard his interview with Professor on Tulare Community mm-hmm. College, we follow up on some of those points as well.
1: He's also kind of, he's the, uh, not the patron saint of modern. What's the, like the ancestral gods of
2: the architect of modern?
1: Maybe, I something. Don't know. I'm There's not sure. There's a thing, and maybe Kamigawa related. There's progenitor. Of there mono. you go. There we progenitor go. Progenitor mimic. That's a magic card. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yes, we have some things to talk about today, guys. Uh, quickly, if you want to follow along in the conversation at uh, the Cast, it's not uh, the MM Cast. it's at the MM Cast yep. on Twitter
1: uh, we are uh, I am at Cass Wiley you are at Ben Bateman Media uh, you can also make sure to follow our Facebook group it's really popular also the big important thing now is go to the YouTube channel or iTunes and make sure to subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube right now hit the subscribe button down there comment because comments are really important to make it so that the YouTube channel grows as well as share this in all the places we appreciate it we love you comment and like and subscribe though those three things
2: so we're gonna start out with some news um, there was some stuff yeah that happened (laughs) I was waiting for that you used to do that it's like the good old days Uh, a couple things that have happened one of them is that this last weekend there was a Grand Prix in New Jersey there was some uh, online discourse about coverage Um, somebody tweeted at Wizards about what's going on with the coverage why can't I watch this and Wizards response and I quote um here we go as we begin to focus on Mythic Championships and Magic Pro League we're adjusting our coverage for tournaments at Magic Fest from New Jersey forward, we'll be posting critical end of tournament information on Sunday evening instead of round by round postings here and on our sites. Fans can still expect to see top eight deck lists and tournament results on Sunday evenings.
1: Well, I think I think the biggest issue that we'll get into, but more than anything, is just right now there's not a communication of what's going on.
2: That I mean, that was a literal response to a fan who well, was
1: like, "What's going on?" and they were like, "Oh, th- by the way, this is policy now," and everybody's like, "What?" Right, and that's I think the and and right now there's no no one knows what pro points are or if there's ever going to be something like pro points. So, for instance, our friend Michael Hughes went to the pro tour, has pro points, was going to grind GPs for this year, but now isn't because he doesn't know unless you win a GP, does the GP circuit lead to the Pro Tour, and no one knows if that's a thing that could happen. Yeah. I mean now and now there are Mythic Championships.
2: Yeah, Mythic Championships are basically the new term that are the Pro Tour, right? So in 2019, they were introduced, uh, the name change is Mythic Championship. It's kind of supposed to be in conjunction with the promotion of Magic Arena, MTG Arena. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the, big, the big future, right? They're going a little more digital. And uh, each of the Mythic Championships is going to award 500,000 in prizes. There's, they're invitation only, the same as the Pro Tour. But because of that increased prize support, because of the fact that they're really putting a lot of resources behind that in Arena, I think it just seems like Magic Fests, formerly called
1: Grand Prix, are just not as much of a priority I for dis- Wizards. I disagree. Okay. I think there's two things to pay attention to. One is I do not believe that GP video coverage is going to go away. They're still going to be doing... And we don't know this for sure. Like, this could change, and I could just be wrong. But right now, the communication has been there's still going to be some GPs that are video coverage. And that's been true last year. They cut down on video coverage for GPs, but they still had some that did it. And they did remove which ones were getting um, rating coverage. The other thing is that the point of Magic Fest, and I've been asking for this for a long time, so it's like kind of the curse of winning, (laughs) is that uh, I've always wanted GPs to become more – um, of a convention. Like convention, yeah. Because right? yeah. like- they already are that almost, and it just was, it's always disappointing how little support convention-esque activities got from higher-ups versus the GP, which was the main focus. And I think they're moving some of the resources to be better at that. And I think they're also learning how to do that. I think they're just figuring out as they go how to accomplish that, how to make these events both appeal towards the tournament players while also opening it up to cosplayers, to commander players. I mean, they still don't have, and even GP New Jersey had these tweets going out, there's still not a designated area in every single GP for people to play commander. There's not like a command zone where you get to play or find people to play it. It's just like, oh, can I find a table that's available? And then halfway through a draft pod will show up and you'll get moved or kicked off that table. And like, that's the kind of stuff that I think they're going to be working on. But I don't know if they for sure know what their plan is, and haven't decided yet.
2: Well, there was definitely some discussion this last weekend because—and you guys can dig on Cedric Phillips' Twitter because he he shared this, basically. There was a comment made by Stephen King, who was one of the players in the top eight at this last GP. And I was digging around on Twitter and digging around on Reddit today to try to find some information about this, just so I could get a real sense of kind of this conversation Mm that was happening over the weekend. And I found a Reddit post from Stephen King. Um, now, there's a picture that somebody shared from that coverage.
1: Right, and it's, it's, it's the top yeah. eight at a table where they're it, they're really just at the end of a table, it's and it's not got a, it's like, like
2: most middle. of the most of the curtain or the uh, tablecloths are gone. It's like eight of them sitting around this table. Mm -hmm. There's no covers. There's no cameras.
1: Like like I've seen when we used a PTQ grind back in the day. It looked like the end of a PTQ. The fanfare. No, it looked like the fanfare at the end of a PTQ was larger. They would like take the table people would draft at, put it at the center of the room, move all the tables out of the way, put a bunch of chairs around it so people couldn't get up close. This felt like the end of a and m More than anything.
2: So his comment on Reddit here is, he says, I'm the fellow sitting all the way on the left. I've wanted a top eight a Grand Prix for the last 20 years. It finally happened, and it all felt very anticlimactic. Pallavidor trashed me in an empty hall with no spectators and no video coverage. We filled out top eight profiles and took pictures, but as far as I can tell, these haven't been posted and never will. Feels bad to be a part of the first ever completely anonymous GP top eight. Now, I dug around a little bit, and they did post the top eight player profiles on Wizards, Mm -hmm. so you can see his profile. But his point being, like, he's worked his whole life trying to get to this point, which a lot of us have. I mean, the first time I top-aided – or, uh, sorry, the first time I day two to GP, like, that was massive. I can't imagine somebody has been grinding to try to top eight a Grand Prix his whole life, and then he finally gets there, and it's like you're basically playing in, like, the back of a gym is, like, what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's terrible. So, I mean, I don't think this is the kind of thing that Wizards is going to be blind to. This is This is the kind of thing that they're pretty good about usually – paying attention to and making better
1: and 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 to be totally honest i think one of the reasons there's been a little bit quiet right now and and when we get gavin on he actually is not in this department so he won't really be able to speak towards this so we probably won't get too much into this with him because this is a totally different department than him um he's in card design and, and product development this is more pro play and marketing so different departments but um I think the main reason they're quiet is I think they had a plan. I think some of the things that the world has very blatantly said we do not like about what's going on here was part of that plan. But after the response from this weekend, that plan is now changing. And they aren't communicating what the answer to this will finally be because they're changing it now. And they have a moment where they have, you know, maybe we're quiet for a week. Let's figure out what we want to do, what we're going to do to move forward. My guess is by next Monday – if I had to put money down, or within the next two weeks at, at the latest, there will be a post on the mothership from Aaron Forsyth or from someone higher up that is basically explaining what is the game plan moving forward. And we'll kind of lay out not everything because they don't know everything. And there's a bunch of information, you know, what we we're talking about planeswalker points, like that whole world is uh, or pro points is probably not going to be answered. Up in the air but right at least now, yeah. coverage and that side of things will be walked through in a more thorough way soon.
2: Yeah, so that's the big that was the big piece of Magic news over the weekend. Now the big results from uh, Star City Games, uh, Indianapolis, this last weekend. The modern tournament was won by Dredge. Uh, ninth place deck was Bant Spirits, just finishing outside the top eight. And rounding out the rest of the top eight, second place you've got Azorius Control, Were Prison in third. Is it Phoenix in both fourth and fifth places with Ross Merriam piloting the fourth place list? Burn in sixth, Amulet Titan in seventh, and another Were Prison deck in eighth place. So. Two War of Prison decks. Um that's kind of a, a variation on old lantern control decks,
1: right? So we don't really talk about this with Gavin, so for those who don't know, we record the Gavin first half, part first and now we're recording the intro afterwards, so there's gonna be a little bit of a disconnect. But yep. War of Invention is that maybe the card that should have been uh banned instead of KCI? I don't think
2: <laughs> War is like a is like a crazy problem right now. I think mm-hmm. like if it, there was another deck that utilized War of Invention to do really unfair things. Well there that is happens, another
1: deck.
2: War of Invention? Yeah. No, were prison.
1: No, I get that. I mean like lantern, were like it's a thing. I'm saying if if There's you not were not three deck well, I mean but I'm saying like literally week out KCI being gone, a replacement for it exists immediately. That's almost the same deck. It just doesn't have the mana combo.
2: I, I mean, yeah, so so maybe. So maybe the were prison deck is a problem. Um I was more I was less focusing on that. I was more focusing on Phoenix just because the price of the Phoenix has gone up so much. Sure. And it's like such a hot deck. The fact that you have the fourth and fifth place decks are both the is it Phoenix list and neither list is playing any copies of Bedlam Reveler. Um, I think that's pretty interesting. It's the, the deck has leaned pretty heavily into Crackling Drake now and really making sure that we're that we're not doing uh, we're, we're leaning heavily into uh, Crackling Drakes to make sure that you can combat like graveyard hate and things of that nature. Um but why is Crackling Drake so effective right now?
1: I mean, It's a really good card. I mean, A, it replaces itself. So, you know, normally a problem with a 4-drop when you play it. Like, the reason Bloodbraid Elf is good in general is you play it and then you also replace it with a card. Now Bloodbraid Elf immediately gets to cast it. This just lets you draw a card. Um, but Bloodbraid Elf is just a 3-2 haste. This is a 12-4 flyer a lot of the time, if not more than that um and so you know it helps you stabilize because it can always just block and it blocks pretty much anything in the format um it can replace itself so if they kill it who cares you have another spell and it's a deck that wants you to just continue having spells so it replaces itself with a spell that's relevant to get phoenix's back and then it's hard to block i mean it's a it's a flyer like just every evasion is good Always. And so how do you chump block this thing without lingering souls tokens? And I think that lingering souls tokens have in general fallen by the wayside recently.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. Like when I played I played a lot of games against Is It Phoenix, um and other things like that back at that last GP that I was at in Portland and definitely this card surprised me just how good it actually was. It was it was pretty crazy. Um, how resilient it was to the hate, and then also just the fact that it cost four, so it gets outside of Abrupt Decay, the fact that it has four toughness, so it gets outside of Lightning Bolt. Kind of all that stuff makes the card particularly compelling and uh, and very, very strong. So the two copies of it Phoenix there in the top eight, I think that's really, really good. And other than that, I mean, the two copies of Were is worth noting Dredge Azorius Control. Nothing about this top eight otherwise is really that striking. Probably the War Prison decks being the most notable,
1: other than the Phoenixes. Yeah, it's, cool. it's cool. I mean, like it, it's definitely a very diverse format, and I'm excited to see where we go to next.
2: Yeah. So that's gonna wrap up our quick news section and the top eights from over the weekend, guys. Coming up here, we have an interview with Gavin verhi Stay tuned for that. It's gonna be absolutely awesome. Thank you guys for uh, supporting us through 200 episodes of the show. WOO! And uh, coming up, guys, we have our special guest on the show, Mr. Gavin Verhey, who, uh, if you guys don't know, is the senior game designer and product architect at Wizards of the Coast. Gavin, how you doing,
0: man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I loved coming on the show before, and I'm happy to make my triumphant return and talk with both of y'all. No, I'm. excited. Congratulations, by the way, on uh, 200 episodes. That's amazing.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> like, this is this is 200. You, yeah, that's right. We t- we sent that an email to you. And you know that <laughs> you're calling us out on the fact that it's episode, it was definitely on
0: this the road. Absolutely, yeah. This is 200 absolutely Yeah,
2: this is episode 200. It's a spe- you're you're a special guest, so that's why you're here for this.
0: I feel so special right now. I'm on your 200th episode. I hope I'm on your 300th episode too. Keep up the great work. What?
2: To all the fans that noticed episode 199.5, 199.7, and 198.8, it was just to make room for Gavin on 200.
0: It's very important. (laughs) I have a big ego, so, you know. Yeah,
2: so uh, we talked about some stuff already kind of with, you know, there was a tweet that went out this last weekend about kind of coverage updates, and we've talked a little bit about New Magic Pro Play, and we do kind of want to hear your thoughts. We'll weave it in, but, you know, Alex and I really wanted to ask some questions sort of about, uh, some follow-up with the interview that you did with the professor on Tolerian Community College, which is a great interview, by the way.
0: Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And it was a blast to work with him on it. And it, we have another piece uh, coming out later this week or next week, probably, to stay tuned for it. So.
1: Yeah, I think I think one of my favorite things I we ever did on the show in the 200th episode, looking back, world, is when <laughs> the professor was on here and Ben actually wasn't able to make that episode. We spent an entire episode talking about how bad Jace Frinn's prodigy was going to be in Standard and, and Modern. <laughs> Uh, and then spent a year eating crow. crow? To yeah. be totally
2: fair, that card was
1: like amazing, and then has swung back to
2: being just pretty good. It's not nearly as good as people thought it was in Modern, though I still love it. I'm still a huge fan uh,
0: of that card. So you're saying, Alex, that the week where Ben wasn't on the show, you misidentified a card. All I'm saying, all I'm saying, Ben yeah, is the key to was, success. It was because he was not late. here.
2: Gavin, my ears were burning, and I did pick up on that, so I'm glad you just directly insinuated it, as opposed to us just leaving it to be subtle. There's no need for subtlety when it comes to Alex Kessler calling shots. I don't know what you are talking about. Uh, all right, so. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think just before we get into the full interview, just a couple things. Because we talked about it at the beginning of the show. Obviously, Magic is going into a kind of uncharted territory this year with its uh, focus on sort of an eSports presence. The Mythic Championships being a major, major thing that people are focusing on. And, and there was some stuff this last weekend uh, about coverage for Magic Fest, formerly titled you know, Grand Prix. Do you think, and I know this is not your department by the way, so I'm not looking for you know you to re- reinvent the wheel here with this, but do you think that uh, decreased coverage on formerly Grand Prixs, now known as Magic Fests, is healthy for Magic, even if it means increased coverage for Mythic Championships?
0: Well, first of all, you're absolutely right that it's not my department at all. I don't really do any work on the event side of things. I mostly focus on, for those out there who might not know, I'm I'm mostly focus on coming up with what the cards do and what our products look like. With that said, you know, I always feel like we need to give the um, the best quality of coverage to our pros and our aspiring fans as possible. And I know we've got a lot of great plans in the works to do that.
2: Yeah, I have a I have a lot of faith in Wizards' ability to kind of pick up the slack there.
0: Yeah, and and I guess.
1: So I guess bouncing off that, and, and maybe this is more in a wheelhouse that you have some of an idea on, is not necessarily the future, but maybe the past. And and you know, you guys see on your end. I'm assuming you guys track information on how well different GPS and coverage and pro tours have done in the past. And being that we're a modern focused one, and modern GPS and modern Magic Fest's and modern Magic Mythic Championships, if that's a thing that actually ends up happening uh, in the future, are are all things that might happen. Was in the world on the street is this is generally true, but I want to know what Wizards thinks is 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 modern considered a better viewership experience for people that that watch on live stream or through kind of esports coverage esque activities, or has your past been limited as more popular or standard, or what between kind of the
0: major formats you guys cover has often the best viewership. Well. You know, I I hate to answer it this way, but it kind of depends, you know, what you're going for. Because Modern, like, I love watching Modern, personally, because it's a deep and diverse format. There's all kinds of decks. You're watching these matchups, and you know all the intricacies of how the cards play out. And, wow, there's this big flashy thing that happens, or the game's over in four turns, or this, you know, is he going to fetch for a dual land this turn? Like, all these tiny little micro decisions that, um, because we've played with these cards for a long time, and because the metagame is so diverse, and and because there's so many interesting cards that show up, can be really exciting. But on the flip side, it's also very hard if you're new or even just, you know, somewhat new coming into the game to understand any idea of what's going on there. Where, you know, watching standard coverage, you have the new cards being shown off, you have decked archetypes that players can easily understand and latch onto. Like, you know, right now, of course, with Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Allegiance out there, you know, the guilds are kind of a big focus in some of these three color decks. So it's a little easier to understand what's going on there. Um, so I think it kind of depends what player you are and what you enjoy. There's also, while well, I'll say that Limited, you know, traditionally is a little less popular than our constructed formats, just viewership-wise. Um, there's a lot of players out there who love watching Limited because it's kind of bare-bones magic, you know, at its core. You see people draft, you can learn about how to draft and build your sealed decks better. And I've always enjoyed watching that, too. So really, I think it depends on your audience and what they're looking for. And there's definitely people who enjoy all three kinds of play. Yeah,
2: I mean, uh, the discussion there sort of 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 what is good and bad for coverage uh, leads me to a question about Modern as a format. You know, I know that you were instrumental in the development of Modern. Uh, We talked about this last time you were on the show, and it's well known that your format, Overextended, kind of was developed concurrently with Modern. So now that we've had Modern for, I guess it's been, what, this is going on eight years with Modern as a format that exists? Wow. Um, Now that we've had it for that long... Do you feel like Modern on some level has been solved? Like, do you think that the linear nature of it being this this really, really, really sort of solitaire-driven format, where the fair decks that are interacting a lot are maybe a little less potent? Is that a problem? I mean, is that something you can combat with bannings? Do you think it's still healthy?
0: I feel like Modern is in a really good spot right now, actually, and... You know, there was a point in time where I was where maybe we've just seen all we're going to see that Modern has. Maybe we've found all the decks and found all the archetypes, and occasionally a new card will come out that will support those, but that's kind of it. But, you know, over the past couple of years, I think the format has constantly reinvented itself with things like the Death Shadow deck. Death right. Shadow's been around for ages. Like, that card was printed years and years and years ago, long before Modern, and it didn't show up anywhere. And it wasn't like, like one individual new card was like, this is it. This is what's going to make the deck playable now. It was like, oh, a bunch of people just figured out that this thing existed. Lantern Control, the same deal. Like, that deck, no one had played anything like it, and someone just kept hammering on it and hammering on it and hammering on it until they tuned it into the right state. Most recently, with Kark Clan Ironworks, like, that card's been a a powerful potential combo piece for a long time, but it wasn't until recently with some of the cards that were added, like Scrap Trawler, where we really started to see the deck take form and show up in Modern. And so... Yeah, it's I mean, I feel like there's still room to explore in modern. Honestly, there's probably decks out there right now that someone hasn't found that is that are totally reasonable to play, and I look forward to finding out what those are. In the meantime, you have new cards make a big difference that can totally cause resurgence like Teferi Hero of Dominaria when that card hit, that made control do a lot better than previously before. It's, you know, it, and that card's had a gigantic impact on the modern meta game. So, I think there is a lot of room to explore and I think that new cards can make a big difference. Granted, bantings bannings are still a way we can shake up the format um not that we ban cards specifically because of of that but you know if a card gets too strong we can always we can always ban it but i don't think we need to resort to that i think we can use uh new cards as a great way to help give old decks tools to compete
1: yeah i mean i think a a strong philosophy and and statement we've made in this podcast many a time before is that like, if you actually go back and start looking at every standard set that's been released, most of them have effect modern in major ways. Dominaria with Teferi, you know, even now we're walking into Ravnica allegiance and we're already seeing wilderness reclamation, like seeing play and and lists popping up of different ways to take, you know, value off of that card. And it's obviously starting to be uh, powerful in standard and, that's a card that easily could become powerful in Modern, similar to Teferi, where you play it, you tap it on turn four, but then you untap, and then you have all of the cryptic commands in the world to be able to cast on your opponent's turn. So, like, there's definitely standard sets have an effect on Modern that have just continuously mixed up what was going on there, and then on top of
0: that, you add the fact that, yeah, as Gavin said, bannings have always been another tool. I mean, I mean, Ben, you're a brewer, right? I, we've talked before. You've brewed all kinds of sweet, sweet, sweet decks. How many of the decks that you've brewed would you say are just like one card away? Like, if you had one more piece or one more kind of like you know counterspell the right mana cost or whatever, that you could make it you could make it awesome. I bet there's a number of decks like that.
2: Well, and to be fair, uh, according to my opinion, all of them. But well, most of them need <laughs> like
0: three cards to be good. <laughs> But, you know, I, I know I've built a lot of decks like that. I'm sure many of our listeners have built a lot of decks like that. And all it takes is Standard having, like, the one piece you need to make a deck Research um, with, with Ironworks, it was Scrap Trawler, right? That The existence of that card made the deck basically appear out of nowhere. So, so many decks are just on that precipice, and Standard is always going to keep printing cards. So, it's just a matter of time until something shows up that, I don't know, makes Blue-White Spirits good again or something.
2: Yeah, I mean it's interesting you say that, and we did see a big banning this this last week. Um, Kirkland Ironworks is gone. You mentioned that that was a card that had made an impact. So a couple questions. Um, the first one being, how much conversation casually around the office, the week or the two weeks prior to that happening, is there about that subject? Because we've you know we had Tom Lepilli on a couple years ago, and that's an episode that gets referenced a lot. But he was gone already at that point from Wizards, so he was sort of very willing to talk about the process then. But that was five years ago. Nowadays. When that decision is coming down, how much conversation is happening in the week or the two weeks before? And,
1: and, wha- and what's the decision process that you guys go through to kind of decide, does something need to be banned or unbanned, or should we be looking at the format? Is there something problematic, et cetera?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, we're always like listening and watching tournament results and understanding what's going on. And we've talked about Ironworks for the better part of a year, basically, since the deck started showing up. And we've been carefully monitoring it over time to see how it's done, how the numbers have been doing on Magic Online, how they've been doing real life, what what kind of level of concerns we're hearing from the community. So it's been something we've discussed for a super long time. And then, you know, we have these banned and restricted windows at certain dates. And the conversation always ramps up around those times. You're absolutely right, Ben. That like around those times of the year, uh, it's like okay, let's start talking about this a little bit more. And we make the actual decision uh, a couple weeks basically before the banning announcement goes out because we need time to. It's actually a little bit less now because Magic Online can do bannings quicker, but we need time to you know propagate it all throughout the building, write the articles, just sanity check ourselves, and make sure that we're on the same page. You know, it's I it's happened once or twice. We've all gone into a banned and restricted meeting. And then walked out of it with a, a feeling and then two days later thought, wait a second, we thought about this more. Let, let's be careful about this. Let's actually change one of, the, of, of our decisions here. So we want to make sure that we have the time to talk it through it. In- if we need it. Um, but yeah, so basically a couple a couple weeks or so um, before the band and the announcement goes up, we have a big meeting where everyone talks and says their piece and we go back and forth. And then in the time leading up to that, there's plenty of discussion as well. And I know with this recent round of modern discussions, there were... A number of things we were talking about and looking at, and eventually decided Ironworks was the one to go. And also at the same time, you know, we were talking about other formats too. We mentioned, I know you guys are Masters of Modern, not Masters of Popper, but uh, we were looking at Popper too and talked a bit about that format, which has had a lot of community discussion recently. And uh, ultimately, you know, we talked about how we didn't ban a card there, but that we're carefully watching the format. And that so, was because well, of the
2: interaction between Gush and Foil, right? That's basically the big thing in Popper right now
0: yeah the addition of foils put the blue decks more over the top than they kind of already were, and we are still watching it still trying to understand exactly what what the right card to ban if any is or if there's or if the format's actually healthy and there's you know a number of points of data we have toward that, but that's one example of how're how we would watch a format for a long period of time, and we try to be transparent about that when we can. We would like people to know that we are paying attention that we are listening because we are always listening and always looking for that so. Great,
1: so... Um, well, I mean, well, and there, there was a great tweet from Aaron Forsyth the day of the banning, I think, is on uh, basically kind of explaining Blue Blueweight and Jeskai Control were the second and third most popular deck of the year after KCI and GP finishes, and in that environment, why would you unban Stoneforge Mystic? And, you know, that was something that, like, that's the card I think everyone, and we've been on that train for a long time, have been on the, this is probably a okay card to add to Modern. There's a ton of different ways to deal with it. How good is a 4-4 Life Link or Vigilance on turn three when I can get three 4-4s for free, basically, on turn two out of... Um, Hollow One. Hollow One, and then... Or, you know, Prize Amalgam or Art Light Phoenix, all those decks kind of just go around it. So, But with that being said, having a deck that's already doing really good because of the printing of Teferi and the unbanning
0: of Jace last year, maybe this isn't the time to do that. Well, and also, I mean, unless there's like a gigantic event right around the corner... Um, Modern is a we can kind of take our time with because we can kind of ban a card, see how the format reacts, look at our data, think about it more, have another meeting, decide if we want to make a change and keep doing that. Now there's been a few times where we've made big, you know, multiple changes at the same time, like unbanning uh, two cards at once or something like that. But for the most part we like to do things one at a time and kind of just see how they go, learn from that and then make our decisions. Unlike in the rare occasions we ban a card on standard, we really want to like hit it all at once. Um, because you know the standard has a, has a much shorter life cycle, and every little bit counts. With modern, we can kind of take our time and see what happens just a little bit more.
2: Now, the card ultimately that was banned
0: was—I
2: would say it, it's fair to say, Alex, that you and I both believe it was a pretty big surprise. We didn't—we didn't expect that this was the card. There was a lot of offenders that we thought were higher on the list, and unbannings that we thought were maybe a little more likely.
1: Well, yeah, I guess I guess the. There's two kinds of way to look at how to go to bad banning. There's the way that Wizards went, which was like, okay, this one deck is a problem, and let's just get rid of the card that's making it a problem, versus, you know, leading up to that moment, there is was an argument that if you weren't playing Noble Hierarch, um, Faithless Looting, and or ancient, ancient Stirrings, then you shouldn't be playing Modern. And there's a large voice in the community saying that Ancient Stirrings is a card that is doing something semi-out of color pie, where green shouldn't be the one that's able to just tutor for you know, have the best card filtering spell in the format and other cards or colors should have access to that. If not, no one should have access to it. And why would say a card like Ancient Stirring survive while KCI would not?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, b- before I say much more on this topic, I should say I the play design team is the team that manages the bannings mostly. I'm abreast of the conversations. I talk with them about a little bit, but they're the ones who ultimately do make the banning decisions. So um I, I don't know as much about this one as maybe some of the other ones in the past. I have a, have a good idea, but just to say that someone like Ian Duke could speak to this a lot better than I could. With with that said, um, Ancient Stirrings is a card that we've definitely talked about a fair amount. In fact, in the recent banned and restricted announcement, we've referenced it multiple times. we talked about it, its power level. And it does, you know, for one mana, it does dig you pretty deep. We found a lot of trouble with card selection spells along the lines of Ponder and Preordain in the past. Um, so with with Ancient Stirrings, it's definitely a card that's on our radar. Um, on the flip side, though, it does enable some really interesting decks that can only really exist because of Ancient Stirrings, um, or at least are greatly helped by it. And wh- and it, banning Ancient Stirrings would have tremendous impacts on the overall metagame. A lot of stuff would shift around if we did that. There's a good amount of splash damage that happens if you knock out Ancient Stirrings. Where Ironworks, if you knock out Ironworks, you're knocking out one deck. It's very clear what deck you're knocking out, but you're not really touching anything else so ultimately you know banning ironworks is a way to knock that one deck we can keep an eye on ancient stirrings and see if it's a problem once again we don't have to move fast on modern we have time to look at it and think about it and make decisions ancient stirrings is, is it going to ultimately be too strong maybe I mean right now we're okay leaving it and and figuring figuring that out if you were to come back from two years from now and t- told me ancient stirrings was banned in modern I would believe you but I'd also equally believe you if you came back in two years and from two years from now and told me it wasn't banned in Modern. And mostly, I'd just be curious where you got your time machine from. But um, but regardless, I yeah, I'm happy with the ban of Ironworks and knocking that one deck for now. Now, one of the things that you had
2: talked about in your interview with Professor was that fetch lands, their effect on coverage, their effect on standard, and even to some degree, their effect on Modern, that is an interesting part of the conversation as it pertains to your decision to design products that will include valuable reprints i know that's a huge part of your job so the decision to ban something that's you know at least six months out has to be something that's on your radar because you don't want one of your most exciting cards you're putting in a reprint set to obviously not be valuable by the time that actually gets reprinted correct
0: well you know we choose we choose reprint cards for a variety of reasons and yeah when we ban a card it means that it's no longer as exciting to reprint so we have to be careful about um what we choose to to Ban if we've got it coming out later on in a, a reprint set of some kind, but we're also willing to make exceptions. You know, sometimes we've we have had cards coming out later in a reprint set. When I think back to Stoneforge Mystic in Standard, it was in a Challenger deck or in a not a Challenger deck in an event deck event at deck, the time, right, I and, and a we banned it regardless, too, right? which was a little little out of character. But, some, oh, you know, you that did, is a consideration.
1: I, I, I at least had one friend who actually took the event deck to a tournament sanctioned, like a an <laughs> REL tournament sanctioned event because you it was the
0: only way you were allowed to play Stoneforge Mystic for that event. Uh, ultimately, format health is the most important thing, right? And it's like, right. yep, look, we have a reprint in a car, in a set, nine months from now or what have you. You know what? I, I would love to be able to have that reprint in that set. But the format health is ultimately... Th- more important than any of that because you're gonna have to play modern for nine months or something before that card comes out let's make the format better now so we, we take it into consideration and you know it's a nice nice thing to keep in mind but it's not a driving force necessarily behind any banning decisions
2: well i mean i remember the masterpiece decision when I of ugin was printed as a masterpiece and then it was banned like two months later that was a big pretty big case of the feel bads for anybody that opened up the eye of ugin masterpiece
1: um, yeah. i mean splinterton was also in modern masters right one or two and then it was banned within the year So,
2: on the topic, though, of fetch lands, one of the things you told Professor was that more master sets, if you guys were going to print them, would have included more fetches. But, because you have plans to use fetches in other situations where you can reprint them...
1: What's more, that master sets are no longer... A thing,
2: right? Well, yeah. So, my question to you is, in your opinion, based on their value and sort of the commodity of of a fetch land to a magic player, could you see fetches ever being banned in modern? Is that something you could ever imagine happening?
0: to me fetch lands are part of what make modern modern for better or worse fetch lands are a cornerstone of of both legacy and modern and and vintage too i suppose but they're they are an important part of that format you know i think if we were to if there was a format between modern and standard of some kind maybe we'd look at not including fetch lands in that that'd certainly be something we'd talk a lot about but at this point fetch lands are so deeply ingrained to what modern is and to what players recognize and they've spent so much time acquiring those fetch lands i don't see them going away um, it, it does make the format feel a little soupy sometimes that's absolutely true you know it's easy to play three four five colored decks but you do pay a cost for that and there's cards that will punish you like blood moon so no i, I don't see fetch lands going anywhere in modern Personally So I guess you know, and that carries us a little bit to the conversation
1: of you know modern master sets are discontinued for the foreseeable future, and the master sets in general, and that was after a four-year period where it was almost two a year. Now, moving forward for the last two years, we've been seeing you know we saw unstable. Last year, I keep calling it unglued, and then people look at me like I'm crazy. Unstapled last year, and then the in this last year uh, or battle two years bonds. ago, battle bond. This last year is, you know, yes, you were planning on printing fetch lands into these masters set in the future, and that's no longer going to be happening. But are those type of draft, casual, limited formats a place where this fetch lands or other powerful pre- reprints of that variety
0: uh, available to be printed in? So to kind of take a step back. Master sets were great for a lot of reasons because they let us get all these reprints out there in the world. Uh, uh, You know, and granted the commons and uncommons weren't often things players were looking for for their modern decks, but we got a lot of rare and mythic rare reprints out there. But the master sets were also super mega hungry for reprints. They just gobbled them up, right? And kind of, they had this huge, huge crater, they caused this huge, huge crater where every other set kind of had to steer clear of anything that a master set wanted. So, that meant that, you know, with the exception of actually Battle Bond, which is able to grab a lot of the commander reprints because we weren't put, putting those in master sets as much, um, it, there wasn't a lot of extra reprints to go around. Um, now we do have more room to be able to play with giving those reprints out in other places. One note is that we always want to put reprints in places that will hit the, the player that they're targeted for. So, for example, um, with a set like Battle Bond. We want to put a set cards in there that are aimed either a little more toward the casual audience or just toward making sure that they make sense in the limited environment. So the two examples I'll give there are Doubling Season and True Name Nemesis, where Doubling Season is a casual all-star. People love that for Commander or, you know, other kinds of casual formats. And True Name Nemesis just makes a lot of sense within the context of the product. You know, you have – the it's – it's the finally the format where it's fair. You can choose an opponent with true name Nemesis, so that and then someone else can just shock it, and it's totally fine. Where if we had just dropped, um, I, I don't know, some some other mod, if we had dropped Tarmogoyf into that set, I mean, that might have been a, a weird fit because I guess you there's some, there's some more graveyards to count, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense necessarily. So we want to put things in the places where where the, they're they're appropriate. And you know we've got a bunch of products, um, some that you know and some that you don't know that'll be good spots for these.
2: Well, again, you, something you mentioned, professor, was that the success of having the one double face card, Bolus, in M nineteen was something that worked really well. You guys were happy with that. You you liked the way that that played, and so that is a kind of a card where you use the example of putting Snapcaster Mage into a core set draws you know draws to mind. Where's the rest of my flashback deck in Standard, right? And like a new player gets confused about that. But with the success of something something like a Bolus, you do feel that you could throw in the odd weird card that fits into a set that it's not necessarily. I don't know. The exactly fit for,
0: you're, but so you so that you have it. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know that we're going to jump straight from you know one double-faced card to snapcaster or major anything right away. But I think you're going to see us just experimenting more in in this space, trying um on unique mechanical representations of things you wouldn't normally see. And we've got yeah, we're just going to keep experimenting and trying stuff out. You know, Magic has done a lot of things the same for a long time. And something that uh, my boss's boss, the VP of of R and D, says, Bill Rose is if you are find yourself stuck in a box, a lot of times it's because you made the box for yourself. And that's something that we've been thinking a lot about as a team. And there's a lot of things we do because they're right. A lot of boxes we're in because they're correct to be inside of. But there's a few boxes where it's like, ah, you know, maybe we could try breaking out of this every now and then. And so we're going to be experimenting. We're really in an environment right now where the community is more tuned in than ever we get feedback faster than ever and we can try things out and learn from them and we've tried out a lot of products in the past year that we've released and some of them have gone well like theme boosters we tried a test of in and then we've launched them whole hog with guilds of ravnica some things haven't gone as well we're not going to be doing them in, in the future and um, the same is true for things in individual card sets so yeah well you know we tried out a single double face card that worked out it worked great who knows what else we might try in the future. So stay tuned for some cool stuff like that.
1: Yeah, so uh, I guess... And if you can't answer this, totally fine. But uh, looking back at last year, what would you say was the most popular out-of-the-box thing you guys tried? And what would you
0: say the least popular out-of-the-box thing you guys tried? Oh, the most popular out-of-the-box thing? Well, I I mean, this is going to sound so self-serving. But <laughs> but BattleBond really knocked the socks off. Like, no one was really sure how it was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um and it was weird. It's a 2 at a giant draft experience. It's got the strange draft going on with it. It's a set full of reprints for uh, co- you know, target commander players, mostly. Like We'd never really tried that before, and it did phenomenally well. And people really, really liked it. The f- feedback was excellent, and it taught us a lot of things. One, it taught us room that there's Definitely space for this more than just conspiracy, but like truly unique play experience, not just free for all multiplayer, but unique play experience of a multiplayer kind as a draft format. And also that, you know, booster packs full of commander cards are are something that people are interested in. So, you know, there's a lot of feedback we we took from that and we can apply to, you know, some stuff we're already doing, frankly, like putting more commander shots in our mainline booster sets because maybe we should, maybe maybe there's no harm in just putting doubling season in a normal standard set. Maybe that's fine. That that's a card that's kind of a poor example because of its interaction with planeswalkers, but stuff like that might just be okay to help generate excitement there. So that that's one that I think went over extremely well and was really really good. Um things that were, you know, one thing that I think didn't work out ultimately, although the intention behind it was really good, was um Global Series, the Global Series decks that we released. So, I don't, I don't know if you guys are familiar or not, but, but a these, these are the decks. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they had a really good heart behind them, and a really good reason behind them. And I talk about I talk more about this in an upcoming article that, I don't know when this is going to go up, but it might actually be up by then. Do you briefly explain what they are for listeners that aren't me who knew what they were? I realized. Totally. I stopped yeah, doing so, it, I was
1: like, I might be the only person who does know what it is.
0: Yeah. So, the Global Series... Is, was basically a dual deck, sort of, if you think about it that way, between two new characters, Jiang Yangu and Mu Yanling. These were characters that were made in partnership with our Chinese team. And we did a lot of really cool stuff on this. We used mostly Chinese artists. We worked really close with our Chinese team to create the cards and the flavor. They actually came up with the flavor mostly themselves and applied it to the card set. So that was really cool. And I think the project was actually a huge success in terms of flavor and character creation and doing something different. That was phenomenal. It really worked out well. Um, But if I could do it again, the problem was we're kind of stuck in this hard place where we wanted it to be an introductory product for the standard uh, or for the Chinese market. And because it wanted to be an introductory product, it needed to be standard legal. Currently, all the intro products we make are standard legal. And because of that, well, there was a lot of weird questions about legality, Where was it going to be legal in China, was it going to be legal all over the world, if it was legal just in China, would that fracture the metagame at all? And so the solution we found that was the best and used our resources most effectively was basically to make a lot of the cards on the weaker side so that they wouldn't have any risk of showing up in standard tournaments. And ultimately what happened is we released this, this cool looking product with cool flavor, with new characters, and the cards weren't exciting at all. And no one was really evangelizing the product because even the experienced players were telling the new players, no, nah, I don't buy that. That doesn't have stuff that's exciting for you. So if I could do it again, I would definitely do that whole thing differently. The cards would would probably not be standard legal, and that way we, we, we could just make them whatever we wanted. But that product had so much potential, and how it ended up going was not as well as I was hoping for. So, you know, we could do, potentially do another global series in the future that remedies those issues, but that was one we learned a lot from and wasn't quite as much of a hit as we were hoping it would be.
2: I think we've learned from uh, Nemesis, Prophecy, and Mercadian Masks that weakening a set intentionally is not a good idea for Magic. <laughs> um, and then the second question I had for you is, you are classic as somebody who is, like, really, really, really likes flavor, though, right? Like, you're one of the few people I know who Kamigawa is one of your favorite sets of all time, correct?
0: I uh, kamigawa block love it yeah you On, criminal and, and all of Tumblr,
2: <laughs> um
0: okay so we have a
2: couple fan questions here yeah, you know
0: can, can I just say something can I just say something <laughs> absolutely <laughs> People, kamigawa it's a bad rap there was a lot of constructed cards in those set in fact if you look at standard at that time there was a ton of Kamigawa cards played in standard you had a ton of great green green ramp spells that are still played today some of the most iconic ones kodama's reach sakura tribe elder you know where those came from kamagawa popular legends Maloku. like there's there's all kinds of really cool stuff that came out of that block i truly think the big problem was that the flavor was just the way that it was taken was just so unapproachable um that for, for most of a western audience that it didn't work out and if we did kamigawa again i think i personally believe we could give it a new uh you know do the flavor better this time around make it something that both a japanese and and uh, eastern audience and a western audience could enjoy plus that that kind of media has propagated further the world's closer now a lot of people know those tropes a little better and instead of focusing on you know tropes from the a much older time in Japan. You can focus on newer tropes that have been generated. We can make a really cool world. And you could get a lot of those cool cards back. So I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Kamigawa was a lot better than better than people thought, and I think it has a lot of potential. For, you, so guys can, you guys can soundbite that, put it on Tumblr, <laughs> Reddit, or whatever, <laughs> and people will eat it up. But I I am so there with you for Kamigawa. Um, that that's all I got. Also, like the mechanics just weren't weren't great. Like like Soul Shift is a pretty weak mechanic. Splice yeah, is super me. parasitic. Um, just Anyway, anyway. no, I mean, ninjutsu is great. There, there are parts of that set that I yeah, love. And and sweet. Yeah, ninjutsu is amazing. Yeah, ninjitsu is a wonderful mechanic. And it's, a,
1: it's like a slam dunk flavor thing. The biggest problem with ninjutsu is that it was in a small set starting so that there's just not that much of it. I would want right. m- way more. Let's get more ninjas.
2: I'll tell you what, Gavin. If you guys ever go back to Kamigawa, Alex and I will start a podcast called The Brothers Yamazaki, and you will be the very first guest. I'll say you, that's, that's – you our, have my uh, word.
1: Our producer Marshall is very excited.
2: <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait to make, like, a Mother Yamazaki i I'm, I'm
1: more on the Gavin side.
2: I know. we've just I, This is like you –
1: are, You are on an island by yourself because our producer Marshall is also on the Kamigawa you guys side. Those are the
2: crazies, though, that, like, do deep dive on flavor. We'd, like yeah, – let's move on. I don't know if that – <laughs> We have Gavin for, for a finite amount of time. I can't, I can't argue this right now. We have, we have some fan <laughs> questions for you. Uh, I'll see you on Reddit, Ben. I'll yeah. see you on Reddit.
1: <laughs> um, okay. We'll just do a Schmodown-like wrestling event where you guys fight it off on Kamigawa Trivia.
2: We've got uh, Yog Sothoth, and others. Where is the Morphos reprint? I echo the sentiment.
0: Uh, well, we know it's a card that people need to get a hold of, so uh, <laughs> logic stands to reason that we'll reprint it someday. It's, uh, like,
2: ludicrous how expensive that card is at common. I, like,
1: one... Isn't it uncommon?
2: It was It is it was a common originally. In Eventide, it or in it, it was a common. Yeah, it's like over $20 now, I think, in the secondary market. It's nuts. Um, you, know, you
0: know, one thing I want to stress is we know what cards players need to get a hold of. And so, we're you know, we always have that on our radar. And with a card like Manamorphos, we know we need to reprint it somewhere. You know, we have some ideas about where that might be. But also keep in mind, it takes a long time for us to react to things, just because our time to make magic sets is, is such a long pipeline. So it's it's in our minds. We certainly know that card needs needs to get out there. Stay tuned.
1: Uh, between Eventide and Kamigawa, which set do you like more?
0: No, Kamigawa. It's not close.
2: You guys are insane. Shadowborn <laughs> Eventide had like a bunch of sweet like hybrid cards. All the cool like all the cool like uh, five drop like the.
1: No, no, no! Like, you don't get shadow. More, I said,
0: Eventide.
2: <laughs> Eventide's a good set.
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, it does have one of my favorite cards of all time, which is Glenelander Archmage. That card is nice. Even yeah, that
2: card is insane.
0: I, I had such a like, case of the feel bads in a
2: casual game of that card last week. I won't go into it, but it was so bad. That card's like, I don't know if you guys have this, but there's that list of cards that when you see in a game of Magic, you like slump. Every time you're like, ah, <laughs> that's one of those cards for me. Every time I see it,
0: right when your opponent, opponent plays a card, I'm always like, oh, I'll just, I'll just answer that card, and then they play Glendler Archmage. It's like it's impossible. Like, how am I going to answer this thing? <laughs> yeah, you, actually, I remember back in Standard, you would, you would like Sora of Temptation it or whatever, and that was, that was a big game. Let me tell you
2: for sure. Um, we have another question here from uh, Side Norna. Why is the best mana dork in modern a human, and why is there no one mana elf that taps for more than one color and has upside?
1: And has upside? <laughs> is there one that just does that,
0: neutrally? Yeah. <laughs> well, why is the best... You know, one, Okay, so to go to the question, why is the best one-mana dork in Modern a human? A fascinating thing about Modern, and part of what I think gives it appeal, is that it has this wild collection of cards from across Magic's history. And kind of just whatever is the best bubbles up to the top, whether it's intentional or a mistake or whatever. And Noble Hierarch is just one of the best one-mana cards ever printed it's amazing. Um, So naturally it's going to bubble up to the top and we don't really make a lot of cards that are better than Noble Hierarch. So it's, you know, probably going to stay on the throne for a while now. So it's not a satisfying answer, but there you go. As far as, as far as mana elves that can tap for any color or ones with upside. Yeah, those are, that's something we could maybe print someday, but you know, in standard right now, we're even very careful and even keeled about the amount of one mana, mana elves we make. We we're only really trying putting war elves back into standard right now. So it's possible someday you might get that, but I wouldn't, uh, let me put it this way. I would keep holding on to your Noble Hierarchs for now. I mean, I feel like they did.
1: Like, to the, the respond to the internet question, Deathrite Shaman was printed, and they had abandoned every format that exists. It's a strong point, actually, yeah. <laughs> that, that was your one. Wa- that is an elf. <laughs> that was your one mana mana dork that produced more than
2: one color and was an elf. So, there you go. <laughs> Next, question. One the upside. <laughs> Next question. Next uh, question. We had one last question here for you. Um, this one is, again, from Side Nora. Um... Modern is often a format of overpowered threats and underpowered answers. Given the limits of standard, how can modern get better answers?
0: Yeah. um, You know, I think there's a lot of ways that we've found to put cards into standard sets that impact modern without ruining standard in any way. Um, And a lot of those actually are the answers that you're looking for. When I look at a card like Assassin's Trophy like, yeah, it's good in modern or sorry, it's good in standard. It shows up, it gets played in green black decks or whatever, but in modern it really really shines. And that's the kind of thing that we can make because if we make a if we make a threat that is too strong in in modern or strong enough for modern, it's almost certainly going to be good enough for standard and that can cause a really huge problem. But if we make a really good answer, there's kind of a limit on how good an answer can be. And even if it's if it just kills anything like Assassin's Trophy, well, that's only so good in standard and it's just better in modern because there's more the things that are important you need to kill you can kill your urza pieces or what have you so that's a pretty sizable difference to me there's also some things we can key off of in modern formats um, and eternal formats that standard doesn't care about quite as much like converted mana cost not to just use another black green instant but abrupt decay is a great example of this because it targets things that have converted mana cost three or less which of course legacy and modern are full of so there's ways. There are some tricky ways we can we can try and get around it, um, especially with those answer cards. Yeah. So I guess
1: then this is kind of plays off a little bit of the because there's this now there's this whole conversation about best of one versus best of three, um, and a lot of the play design team has kind of tweeted about how a lot of these, for instance, these double face cards are designed to be somewhat neutral and somewhat split cards. You, you know, know split doubles. cards. Yeah. Sorry. Split cards are 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 designed to give kind of. M- decent answers that are more limited and then more generic powerful sides is wizards with best of one even on there looking to find more versatile answers to put into standard that also maybe have a, will have a powerful effect on modern in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, best two out of three isn't going anywhere we're still using it for paper going forward you know you you can play it sometimes on on arena um but we are designing knowing that arena exists and the best of one is in mind and trying to do all kinds of tiny things from yes modal cards like like you mentioned charms are a great way to do that or split cards are a great way to do that to even tiny things for example you're gonna you're gonna see us upping the amount of looting in in some sets okay why why would you do that would you ask well if you have looting in your set it makes, or rummaging, it makes situational cards better. You can main deck your naturalize or something, and then just discard it to a, a draw and discard effect if you need to. So there's all kinds of tiny quality of life changes we're doing to help out Arena. But those, the great thing about those cards is they all still work great in normal best of three matches anyway. Your looter is still excellent. So there's tiny little things like that we're doing to help out, and we're designing a few cards with that in mind. Things like Night of Autumn, for example. Um, well, not designed explicitly for Arena. We're made with Arena in mind and help out best of one a lot. Um, so, it's something we have very much in our, in our brains as we're making these cards, but best of three is is not going anywhere.
1: You know, the Ascendancies were extremely popular uh, cards in Cons block, and, you know, Cons was, probably that was the one cycle that was a big addition to different cycles that exist, because Cons did the Charms, Cons did the dual Lands, or the Trilands, uh, as kind of follow-ups from that set. Um, now we come to Ravnica block, we're back, and every color didn't get one, but Simic got an Ascendancy. Was there ever a conversation of creating Ascendancies for all of the guilds in their entirety, or was just Simic Ascendancy's name for that two-mana enchantment that had multiple effects just a, a happenstance?
0: Yeah, you know, it's so funny. And and as an English major, creative writing major, I really like to point to this as the power of words and how much words have meaning. There was never any cycle of Ascendancies in the set. That wasn't a thing that we were trying at all. And but the word ascendancy is tied to just a previous cycle of magic cards you hear ascendancy you think about these old ascendancies and when you know everyone was seeing the cards and we saw the slideshow and the slideshow is this thing that happens in r&d where before a set goes out into the world we uh, see all the cards that are in in that set and everyone comments on them all together as a group and we saw the ascendancy it came up people noted that it was close to the cons ones we all made that comment but decided you know and creative took that back and ultimately ultimately decided to go ahead with it anyway. And I've gotten so many questions about that exact thing because of just the one word. There weren't any more. It's just another word like any other word that might show up. But because it was tied into a cycle, you expect this thing. It's like if we were to make a card that had Charm in the name but didn't have three modes or something like that. Um, so it's fascinating. It's really interesting, but no, there were never any more, um, ascendancies to think about. Although I do wonder now what all the other ones would have looked like. What does the Rakdos ascendancy well, look I think, like? I, I think there's, uh, yeah, there are
1: some enchantments in the sets that almost point at it. So for instance, the red green, whenever an opponent casts an instant or sorcery, they take a damage, then you can sack it to naturalize. Like there's like things that like could have been descendancies
0: too, which I think is where like it even jumps up farther. Theater of horrors could have been an ascendancy, for example, you know?
2: I think what's interesting about that is that Simic Ascendancy truly matches the word ascendancy more than any of the others do because it's you're building counters on it. It's actually ascending to a higher level to win. Well, that's why they After named the it. ascension, <laughs> right? So like but that's the funny part is like it, it it's it truly actually is using the word properly whereas the other ones have repeatable effects but they're not they're not re- increasing their sort of size permanently with every single instance. I mean, um, Jeska's
1: Ascendancy increases all the things in play by that's plus true. one, plus one May- every time he Maybe asks. just ascendancy <laughs> is the closest
2: one. Um, but in any case, so. Uh,
0: so by second, yeah, and yeah. The, the other funny thing, a little piece of trivia, is they were originally called um, something else. And then late in the process, the, the cons of Tarkir ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then late in the process, we changed them to ascendancy. So it's funny that's actually coming back to get us now.
2: <laughs> well, Alex and I at one point did a whole episode. That's like two years ago now, I think. And it was uh, incomplete cycles that we want to see completed. Oh, yeah. So it was like the, the swords that haven't been printed yet were like one, a good example of them. And I think we might have talked about the ascendancies at that point. We talked about the rest of the commands.
1: So so officially putting in a petition for finishing up the Civic ascendancy two-mana enchantment <laughs> cycle of ascendancies.
2: And my last question for you, because I know we're out of time here.
0: I, I, I just want to say one thing on that oh, yeah. really fast, which is I definitely pay attention to these uncompleted cycles. I love finding places to complete them. The fact my job is to work on all these weird wild sets like commander and battle bond means I am constantly looking for places to put them. So you've now incepted into my head a little bit of, uh, of (laughs) of other ascendancy. So, so it's there, it's kicking around with, I don't know, the, uh, the, the last, the last magus that we need to print and the next morphling we need to print and all that fun stuff. So
2: you and I have talked about this off camera before, and I've asked you once before, where is the foil reprinting of oh, worldly tutor?
0: That was absolutely gonna be my question. <laughs> why, why
2: do all of the other tutors have a foil printing and still to this day, even though you acknowledge it, I think you even had like a aha moment at dinner where you were like, oh my God, you're right. It still doesn't exist, Gavin. what's going on?
0: All I'm gonna say, all I'm gonna say, Ben, is since we have talked, I' brought it up inside this building. So now now the world okay. knows there's no worldly tutor. <laughs> and uh, whether or not that is remedied, time will tell. But it is my goal to get into a set. You know, it's funny, like how much little interactions can influence a design. But a lot of times, they're just tiny little holes in a set you're looking to fill, and you're like, "Oh, hey, yeah, this could be a great fit for for this set." And just having that backlog in your head, that you can kind of reach back into and say, "Hey, you know, one person wanted this. That means there's probably more people that want it." And it's a relatively inconsequential put a spot in a set. Let's put that in. There's a lot of cards like that rattling around in my head. Or when I'm making a new card, it's always easier to start with an idea than to start with nothing. So I'll be like, okay, well, this commander set needs a new card. Let's make the next Ascendancy, right? That's going to be a fun thing to make. Um, so yeah, that kind of stuff is, is always in there, always in my head when I'm making cards. And so if you have anything like, yeah i need a foil version of xyz card or man i wish this cycle was completed or anything along those lines please hit me up and you can always message me on twitter or you know wherever you find me find me in the streets don't stalk me though and just ask whatever questions you have
2: i mean you guys named a card after my co-host here once so when worldly tutor gets its reprint i hope that i'm in the flavor text
0: I, i literally couldn't believe that by the way i had i mean it was a set that i lead designed and alex you and i have known each other for a long time mm-hmm. and then one day i just been looking through the files and creative had just populated the file with all the names they came up with and one of them was Kess. and i just could not believe it <laughs> could not believe it and when we got into the preview room me and blake and a few others were assigning preview cards and i, I just started it off by saying hey look there's a card and i know where we have to put it i know and i know they're not a commander <laughs> yes. podcast but it has to go here, and uh, I'm really glad that worked out. Well, well, no I mean, first off, it was the like
1: top five moments of my life finding that card out, but also for the summer beforehand. So the Command Zone guys get card files early, especially for the Commander ones, because you have to do game nights, and that takes longer time to kind of produce that content. And for like a month leading up to, because I was going to be, I was on that episode. I did. I was the person who did the Command Zone episode talking about Kest, and then I was on uh, uh, doing video for it, and. The month leading up, you're like, Have you gotten your preview card yet? Have you gotten your preview card yet? And I'm like, No, why do you keep asking? (laughs) Like, the old no. And I'm like, thinking it's going to be like Vengevine or like a card that I'm publicly loved that's just like being reprinted. And then it was like (laughs) my name on a Snapcaster
2: page. Gavin, also, I'll have you know we're going to delete this entire conversation so the world still thinks it's named after Alex.
1: But great conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Um,. I think that
0: probably wraps this up. Yeah, it probably wraps this up. I we, mean, uh, we've,
1: we've confirmed that Kamigawa is coming back next year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah. Yeah, I mean, both, it's, take stuff.
0: that sound bite, put it on Twitter. <laughs> everyone will love you. Perfect.
2: So. And it sounds like hopefully we'll be seeing you for our little local tournament that we run in Los Angeles here pretty soon. So, you know, fingers yeah. crossed on that.
0: Yeah, I'll be, I'll be down there soon. And um, I look forward to seeing you all then. Thanks again for having me on. I really appreciate it. Congratulations again on 200 amazing episodes. Thank you. Thank Here's you. the 200 more. It's my job to make sure that Modern is in good enough shape. You'll have 200 more episodes. Perfect. Let's do it. Thank you, Gavin. Gavin. We'll talk to you next time. Talk to you soon. All right, thanks. Bye. All right, see you, man.
2: All right, so Gavin Berry, what an awesome, awesome, awesome guest for Episode 200.
1: Progenitor. I said that word wrong of Modern. Progenitor? Progenitor
2: regenerator mimic do you know what that card does uh use
1: yes. your feelings it, it <laughs> like comes into play <laughs> and eats a thing and becomes no
2: i think it's like a simic card maybe it's like blue green five possibly
1: that makes of there you go oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah it's mythic i think it's pretty bad um it's so really good it's really uh, good yeah that's our new producer not not just, a modern just
2: yelling at us trying to inject himself into the show with seven drops you get
1: out of here yeah, oh,
2: oh, oh okay six drop much yeah. better <laughs> I've played that in a lot of
1: commander <laughs> games it's in, in every commander sim deck I've ever built
2: so that wraps up our 200th episode guys thank you so yep. much for the support this whole time uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show like subscribe comment on YouTube it's the most important thing at this point to help grow the video presence and uh to help grow know, the podcast say
1: what to help grow the podcast
2: absolutely and, and uh, with any luck with any luck, we will have we will have put card images to this video. Uh, if not this one, then another one soon. But that's something we're working on. You guys have asked for it. We've heard your call. We're uh, we're really excited about that. And um, yeah, I think that's going to pretty much wrap up my uh, stuff.
1: big thank you to the Command Zone. They've supported that supported us through the last 200 episodes uh, collected.company has been our home since rocket jump was our home before that uh, big shout out to every guest that's been on the show for the last 200 episodes um, shout out to glenn jones for being on the first five episodes being my original go host shout out to ben for joining in after that shout out to marshall for j- being on the second episode ever and then now helping us make this in the next future shout out to craig who just entered the room randomly he's been a guest um, on the show he's been a, a, a relatively large supporter of all of my entertainment Endeavors in my life, and then uh, big shout out to everybody else. Big and shout out to
2: Michael Grothy, who's a yeah. who's like a longtime uh, guest and and co-host of the show now. Yeah. Um. And and Wizards of the Coast for making the best game of all time. So. And Gavin um, for coming on the show
1: and yes. doing an awesome interview. And yeah.
2: All right, guys. We'll see you same time, same place next week. We will be live streaming. Watch the feed at uh, at the MMCast on Twitter to find out when we're going live. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah
1: if you if you subscribe, you should get a notice that it's happening. Yeah. Cool. All right, guys. All right, thanks, guys. Bye.
0: Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the MMcast at rocketjump.com. See you later: Alligator.